Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the other line, she's like the worst part of Superman. It's my sister, Marissa. Truth, justice, and a really annoying moral code. (laughs) Well, welcome back to the hiatus version of The Good Play. Uh, As you noted from last week's episode, we are going back through old episodes of The Good Place while... Uh, the second season is on hiatus. So uh, last week we talked about uh, the pilot episode, and today we are talking about season one, episode two, called "Flying." Uh, before we get into sort of a, a the short recap and discussion, I guess we should go through where people can find us. I mean, they already found us if they're listening to this, right? Unless they're being held hostage in somebody's car or something with Bluetooth. Well where they could find extra discussion or find us in different formats. Or if they are being held hostage and they manage to escape, if they want to find us later. Yes. If they're like, the one good thing about me being held hostage was that I (laughs) I now have a good uh, podcast to listen to. Um, Also, a positive is that since, you know, we have fewer than 100 listeners, like the police can really narrow down who where you are, who your captor probably (laughs) is. You can find us on uh, Twitter at the Good Play Pod, on Facebook at the Good Play, and uh, you can find us on iTunes. Please rate and review us. And uh, what's our cast? Um, I always you will never this. remember this. I will never good, remember it. Goodplay.cast.rocks. And we have an email address. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the Good Play Pod at gmail.com. So do you want to. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go through? Yeah, I'll, I'll go through just sort of, I just watched the episode like an hour ago. So I will um, kind of off the top of my head, give a little bit of a, a short recap since hopefully everybody has seen this and like can rewatch it on Netflix at any time. In essence, you know, this episode starts out where everybody is in those blue and yellow stripies and uh, except for Eleanor. And she's trying to get Chidi to promise to help her, and he is really not having it. Although he does manage to call Janet for her, and Janet gets her the sort of blue and yellow stripy pajamas. And they have a neighborhood meeting where um, they kind of, Michael and Janet just sort of admit that they don't know much about what's going on. And then Tahani's clothes go back to normal, and that's kind of it. It's sort of like, oh, I guess the crisis is over. They all kind of disperse. Eleanor and Chidi kind of get back into wrestling over, like, are you going to help me? No, I don't want to help you. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Um, Chidi's trademark indecisiveness kind of starts coming to the forefront in this episode, although it's not as obvious as it gets sort of later in the series. So the reason the episode is called Flying is because Michael says, okay, we're going to do, you know, we're going to go flying. Like, this is like a dream for many people. And so let's do it. He tells everybody, okay, get on a launch pad and, you know, we'll take turns and you can all go flying. But Tahani kind of inserts herself and says like, oh, you know, um, the neighborhood is a mess because of the chaos sequence from the day or night before. So we need some volunteers to clean up rather than to fly. And Chidi 
volunteers himself and Eleanor as a way to force Eleanor to prove that she is capable of selfless acts. So people go flying while, you know, at least the four humans we now know, the, the quartet, are, are picking up garbage, as well as some of some secret bad place employees are also picking up garbage. So at some point, Eleanor, she wants to, you know, Janet says basically five minutes left till we're done with flying for the day. So Eleanor's trash bag kind of breaks at that moment and she takes the trash and kind of shoves it, you know, under a rug, you know, so she can try and go flying. And just as she gets on the launch pad and starts to hover, it starts raining trash. So meanwhile, there's this sort of, uh, while this is all help happening with Eleanor, um, Michael is kind of having uh, an emotional breakdown that we kind of now know to be like a total put on where he is confiding into Hani that, you know, these good place uh, neighborhoods are like clockwork and, and, you know, there, there must be something wrong. And he sees Pavita's dog and kicks the dog into the sun because he says the dog is a glitch. And then of course, Pavita comes out and says, where's my dog? And, Michael's like, oh, uh, uh, and gets the dog back and then says, you know, I can actually get you a dog who loves you more. And Pavita's basically like, get away from me, you freak, (laughs) which is pretty funny. And so, like, it's all this, like, emotional fragility from Michael. Right. So it starts. So, you know, it starts raining trash on Eleanor. And for Michael, you know, he, he says this is another sign that the neighborhood has gone wrong. Uh, of course, it's not. It's just sort of more torture of Eleanor. We know now, although, like, let's put a pin in that because I, just like the Ariana Grande thing from episode one, uh, it feels like they cheated the mechanics of this this time. You see Michael in Tahani's house with Tahani and Jianyu, and he's saying, you know, that he is a complete failure. He compares himself to a canyon full of poo-poo. And Jianyu, a.k.a. Jason, you know, does not break his vow of silence, but kind of puts his hand on Michael's chest and Michael purports to be healed by this touch. Um, And Tahani is just sort of annoyed that he hasn't broken his vow of silence. Chidi sort of figures out what Eleanor has done. And he says like, look, you know, you're obviously not a redeemable person. So um, like, bye, you're on your own. And Eleanor keeps having these flashbacks to times where she did really crappy things with her friends when they all went out drinking together. She would always sort of dodge being the designated driver. And eventually all these flashbacks and Chidi's disapproval weigh on her enough that she kind of goes out in the middle of the night and cleans up everything all by herself. And Chidi catches her at it and says, okay, you know, obviously you're not irredeemable. So um, I will help you. And he moves in with her into her guest bedroom, um, which we never see. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I don't we've ever seeing it. seen it in a season and a half. We've never seen his bedroom. Uh, why does she even have a guest bedroom? Whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, he kind of sets up with like every book on ethics you could imagine and a chalkboard. And he's like, it's going to be so great. We're going to be studying. Hooray. And. Eleanor's like, can I just vape something? Do I have to actually study? <laughs> vape. Yeah. And sort of at the end of the episode, uh, Eleanor gets a note pushed under the door that says, you don't belong here. And that is how the episode ends with her sort of looking around for who has left her that note and not finding a person. And that is the episode. Uh, I might have left out a couple things since we don't have anything written down, but um, that was the thrust of it, I think. Yeah, I think so. 
So can I just, can I just, uh, you know. Jump right I'm, in. Yeah, I'm just going to be the nitpicker and I, and I don't mean to be, but the problem with this guilty knowledge rewatch where I am specifically watching it with the purpose of like, I'm going to come to this mic, I'm going to talk about it as we understand it now in like the universe that we have. Um, the problem with that is that you catch these things that you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like they, they, they wrote this show very much so that they would not be that, so that the secret, the, the surprise, the twist would not be discovered. And that's fine. But like, let's just talk about this trash storm. (sighs) Obviously the trash storm is meant to be another way to demonstrate to Eleanor that she is messing up the balance of this neighborhood. Again, what we now know with full retrospective powers is that there's nothing uh, that happens in this neighborhood that is not controlled in some way by either Michael or Janet, right? I think we can say that pretty securely at this point. Mm -hmm. There's not some sort of external supernatural force exerting itself on this neighborhood. It's not like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. (laughs) It's either Michael doing something, and as far as we can see, he has almost infinite power to make changes to this uh, neighborhood but he does not have um omnipotent um surveillance powers right like the 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 humans can talk and and this is not something that michael knows is going to it has happened um right as we see later on in the series yes so i just don't know how this works time-wise so eleanor is has been voluntold to pick up this trash and she's picking up this trash she gets the five minute warning on flying her bag breaks she shoves the trash under some uh rugs or whatever and so we have a clock on this it's a five minute warning she walks over she suits up she gets on the pad again this is all within the five minute window janet tells her to think of a happy thought she says people barfing on roller coasters which is gross no thank Mm. you eleanor i know and she hovers and then the trash storm comes okay so this is all happening inside of a again five minute window meanwhile this is concurrent with michael kind of sitting talking to tahani and jason um i think it's actually concurrent with his talk with pavita pavino that he kicked the dog into the sun and then he got the dog back and pavita is like not amused with him and they're kind of having this conversation and then the trash storm starts so like you tell me how michael knew that eleanor had done this thing and then was able to start a trash storm based on it within a five minute period like i totally buy everyone is michael's eyes and ears except for the quartet and janet right Mm -hmm. i totally buy that as eleanor is sweeping stuff under a rug some bad place employee sees it out of the corner of their eye and then would be able to tell Michael, and Michael would be able to, say, have a trash storm the next morning. But I don't see how it all happens in a five-minute window when we see what's happening with Michael at that moment is he's, like, having a talk with Pavita about her dog. It's cheating. I'm sorry, Michael Shirt. It is che- <laughs> it's cheating because we, we think at the time that it's this supernatural external force, but it's not. It's actually Michael doing all this stuff. And that's okay, except you can't cheat and make it impossible for Michael to have actually done the things he's supposed to have done. Unless... (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Unless there is an if-this-then-that scenario. You think he has an IFTTT.com, like a trigger? (laughs) 
said he it might. like that he preset he might because the whole thing about uh you know the the first episode the first part of the second season is him saying like we've got to get Eleanor to do certain things in a certain order in order to like get the chaos sequence like we need to get her drunk and we need to do this we need to do that if it because he has programmed the chaos sequence to play out in a certain way right um in response to her reactions to other people around her and it might like you know i i think you're probably occam's razor says that like yeah they cheated they cheated a little bit narratively in order to make this work but you know it might be there might be a situation where you could say michael kind of knew could tell that eleanor wouldn't be able to resist flying um and knew yeah but he didn't you know the funny thing is if some random alleged resident but actual bad place employee had stood up and said hey everybody i need volunteers to clean the neighborhood then the whole thing would obviously be a michael plot right but it didn't it was was honey it was honey there was no way that michael knew ahead of time that this was how this was going to play out yeah i guess you're correct well in that case i think we need to tweet at michael sure and say we we found uh (laughs) one hole to punch into your story here I mean, but, this is an addition to the Ariana Grande hole from yesterday, yesterday, last episode. And it's like, I, you know, I hate to be this person, but it's starting to annoy me. I don't think, it doesn't annoy me that much because I think. It, it doesn't annoy me that much because I think the quality of the show is not that related to, you know, the twist mechanics. But like, you gotta be intellectually honest with this stuff or it's just, you know, it's just dirty pool. I mean, I, I think that's, uh, I think that the payoff is good enough that I, you know, you can sort of say, all right, we've fudged some things here or there. I mean, it also, there also might be some, some way in which Michael has rigged something in the bad place. You know, we do see um, in the second season some more sort of, um, like the diagnostic manual or all these different things that um, he has access to, like the Janet's diagnostic manual, I mean. It, it, you know, it's it's possible that he rigged some things to be, like, situation-dependent, right? But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me all that much. But I think the larger point here is that, you know, when we think about the twist at the end of the first season... You know, this episode, the kicking the dog is supposed to be like the really big clue that Michael isn't who he says he is, right? That he is actually evil. I didn't really get that, but I think. Oh, no, I definitely didn't. No. Um, But I also think this is another reason why I think a lot of people didn't really see the twist coming because I think you're right. It does feel like the sort of more supernatural, um, this this sort of organic supernatural thing and and ted danson does a great job of passing everything off as like a really scary coincidence rather than a plot of his like they didn't they didn't really telegraph at all and i think maybe in trying to get away from telegraphing they maybe overcorrected a bit at the beginning and i think that's maybe what we're seeing yeah i think that's correct and i don't 
This is kind of the end of... Nope, there's the sinkhole. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, this is the end of, like, really big glitches in this world, but the sinkhole is the... Yeah, the is sinkhole's the... huge. It's it's physically huge, but it's also a huge... Um, Plot point, yeah. Yeah. And the sinkhole's not just for Eleanor, that's for Tahani, too. A big deal. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it when we get to it, but yeah. that's another one that if my memory serves me, is kind of cheating, right? Because they are backstage... Eleanor and Chidi and Jason, right? Are back, quote-unquote, backstage at the restaurant opening? It's just uh, Eleanor and Chidi, I think. Okay, yeah, because Jason's about to be like, I am Jason, and I Let love Buffalo Wild Wings. Let me tell you about the wings, wings I had. Yeah. yeah. And Eleanor is, like, purposefully going to try to create a distraction by doing something that she knows quote unquote knows is going to create a glitch in the matrix and so she like destroys this cake mm-hmm. and then instantly instantly the sinkhole opens up which again <laughs> in retrospect seems like cheating but i Be- wonder if every you know if all these different things seem like cheating if there's another if, if there's another thing that we're missing here. Yeah, I mean, I guess anything's possible. I mean, Michael talks a lot about being able to see in, like, however many, how many dimensions? Nine, is this? nine dimensions. You. So it's possible that, like, time has no meaning to... No, that doesn't... Uh, sorry, that doesn't hold water for me either. <laughs> like, he seems pretty bound by the rules of time and space that we are bound by, except that he has infinite creative power. You know, he can snap his fingers and put you into a different reality, but he can't snap his fingers and make time go backwards. No, but I wonder if, I wonder if some of these, because like the restaurant opening was a, you know, if if you think of all these little things uh, within, you know, if you think of the good place neighborhood or the bad place neighborhood that we're in as like the big torture chamber, and you think of all of these individual uh, episodes or individual, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Individual scenarios as like little torture chambers. It's possible that each one of these torture chambers is rigged somehow, right? Like, you know, basically think of it as being booby-trapped. Like, if she cho- if she chooses to do this, then this will happen if she chooses to do that then that'll happen if she you think it's all about eleanor or you think it's any of them i think it's potentially any of them but eleanor it's it's pretty clear to me anyway that eleanor is like the center of it because um you know we (laughs) things fall apart the center cannot hold mere anarchy is loosed upon the world what's that what (laughs) that was yates oh i'm so sorry um but i mean i i think slouching towards bethlehem to be born well slouching towards something (laughs) i'm certainly slouching towards something um but i think you know if it's a if each of these scenarios is a little torture chamber like that the we're getting ahead of ourselves but the restaurant scene is a torture chamber you know for jason basically because he gets like nothing right tofu no blo- or no tofu he, block. he yes. gets like a tofu block yeah and eleanor gets nothing because it's her like hunger strike yeah it's her hunger strike which like come on i mean <laughs> i think at the time i i don't think that that clued me into anything but like 
in retrospect, you're like, of course that's torture. Like, that's nobody. Come on. I mean, you mm-hmm. can be really proud of a hunger strike and it still is not your favorite meal. <laughs> right. For that's... a dinner party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's possible to me that if you if you look at each of these scenarios as like a carefully like a closed system yeah exactly like a carefully calibrated system then it's meant to torture all these people in different ways and it's meant to you know michael thinks that he understands each of these people and understands how they would react and for a lot of the beginning of the first season that is true because the the place where it really starts to come undone for him is when eventually and again getting ahead of ourselves here but since we're talking about like a guilty knowledge rewatch um the place where it really starts to come undone for him is when she stands up and says i'm the problem he didn't know she was going to do that that's the first thing where she says you didn't know i was going to do that because i didn't know i was going to do that so if you think about michael as an architect of these people's misery right he's arguably created each of these scenarios and situations for optimal um you know sort of emotional torture and turmoil and sometimes physical too um (laughs) poor cheaty and the needles yeah exactly um so in but but i think that means that he would probably know how each of them... He was trying to anticipate how each of them would react. Now, you know what this reminds me of? What's that? Is the people who... You know, there's like a free... In philosophy, right? People argue free will versus determinism. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a theological side to this as well. Like, how do you have free will and you also have like an, an omnipotent, omniscient deity? And the answer mm-hmm. that some people have for this is God is so omniscient that God knows everything that every person is going to do. That God knows every choice a person is going to make. So you can still have free will in a theological system, but it's just because God knows every person so well that God can have a complete understanding of how the universe turns out, even allowing all these people to have free will because, you know, understanding the human mind is like part of what God understands. Which I think is an argument I found compelling at some point in my life. And then, you know, it's, you know, at some point I sort of drifted into atheism and then I ceased to care. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, in, in the context of The Good Place, where Michael is the closest thing we have to God, really? Yeah, kind at of. Least, at least within the neighborhood, he kind of is. I don't find it super compelling because... Yeah, that's a heck of a thing to know. I mean, I'll grant you this one thing about the cake situation. He didn't have to know exactly what was going to happen. If something went, you know, a sinkhole is very nonspecific. Yeah. You know, she punches the cake, a sinkhole opens up. Maybe he set up an if this then that rule that if Eleanor did something crazy, open a sinkhole. Yeah, she could have like, she could have... Um, she could have karate chopped Gunner across the face. It really didn't matter. Yeah, she could have like ripped the tablecloth off the, off the table, or she could have like, you know, bum rushed Jason so he couldn't talk, or so you know, like she could have done any number of things. It was just, but I do think that that cake, you know, is sort of like Chekhov's cake, right? It's like 
we're told in advance that this is like the most special thing that this person has ever done and it's like her soul's true calling was this cake so eleanor she got done within the first couple months of being dead yes allegedly it's not all it's all fake i mean you have to remember that too (laughs) so eleanor is set up to believe that this is the maximum damage that she can do and she's so desperate that she does it right and i think but but let me let me just okay take this back for a second so my point is that we don't know what she was no he didn't have to know what she was going to do in that restaurant in order to set up some sort of rule that if she does something crazy you know again i don't even know how this rule would be executed we haven't seen ever since the twist was twisted we have not seen the 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 universe act in ways apparently without michael's intervention and then michael being like oh i just have like a i just have like a like an alexa thing set up so that (laughs) alexa if eleanor does something like this uh do something like that okay michael thank you very much but he Um, doesn't need alexa because he has janet yeah but janet's not executing any of this stuff she it would completely blow his cover yeah so anyway he it didn't need specificity in the restaurant, but this trash storm required specificity. So I just, I'm having a really hard time with it because he had to know that she was going to do, I mean, I guess he probably had a fair idea that she was going to mess up something with the trash collection, but frankly, I don't think he had time. He didn't know Tahani was going to volunteer to clean up the neighborhood. He didn't know Chidi was going to press gang Eleanor into doing it with them you know, he didn't know that Eleanor was going to, he could have, he had a, knowing that stuff, it was a pretty fair guess that Eleanor was going to kind of try to shirk her responsibility. Yeah. But like, it's just this really complex series of things. And I'm sorry, you can't tell me that Michael knows these people so well that he knows Tahani is going to volunteer to clean up the neighborhood. I mean, that's, that's a level of, that's a level of knowledge that I find pretty difficult to swallow. I don't know about that. I actually don't know about that because... Tahani is all about appearances. Yeah, she's being, like, performatively good. Yes, that's exactly the word I was going to use, performative. Like, she's all about appearances. She wants to appear better than she is, or her motive is such that, you know, she wants to look like she's helpful more than she actually cares about being helpful. So I think if you know that about her, which he arguably does, I mean, it, it... does however take a lot of if this then that kind of stuff and i think the bigger thing is you'd have to michael would have to kind of understand that um chidi would be wrestling with this idea of of this trash collection as like a test for eleanor Right. Yeah, that's a that's a I mean that that they would already be at this point also because they've been there for like 24 hours. Yeah. Which is I think, you know, if we go back to uh one of our earliest podcast episodes, your husband did uh wonder if this was this the first season was their first go round in in the bad place. I think definitively we can say yes it yeah. was, right? But I think, you know, one this is another reason why I think he probably thought that maybe it wasn't right. Because like maybe they've been through this simulation before and Michael already knew, but they don't, we see when we have like the, the sort of like flip, 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 flip through all the different attempts. 
that like they don't act identically every time. Yeah, that's Although, true. Although Eleanor acts pretty similarly when she's like trying to kind of she did I you know like I don't want to get bogged down in this I guess although I think we are pretty bogged down in it yeah uh sorry I got us bogged down in this but um I I think the answer honestly lies with what you sort of initially said which is that you know they overcorrected they were trying to make it so that they didn't telegraph the twist and in the process of making sure they didn't telegraph the twist they overcorrected and they in some sense telegraphed uh the existence of i thought you put it really well you said an organic kind of corrective mechanism for the neighborhood that we know does not exist and i feel a little cheated by that i think in the same way that like you know if you read like a mystery novel and then it turns out that like you know you had to you know did you ever i mean like so i'm not an i'm not a mystery novel person actually i think i like read that dan brown book about the Da Vinci Code. code? The Da Vinci yeah. Code? <laughs> the Da Vinci Code, yeah. You read the Dan Brown book about the Da Vinci Code? You I'm can't just... remember the name of the book? <laughs> I'm not good with titles. <laughs> um, and that and was there was like... one about, like, angels, but there were also demons. <laughs> Do you know Shut what up. book I'm talking about? <laughs> so, like... <laughs> That book was written for, like, a, a seven-year-old. You know, like, th- that book is so... I, I cannot understand people who, un- who like, enjoy Dan Brown because it's like... I was like, oh, I'm I'm getting these puzzles before the, the alleged symbologist <laughs> gets them. But let's put that aside. Let's talk about Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> okay? Encyclopedia Brown mysteries were always like, well, how was I supposed to know that? You know, like... There was one where you had to know that allegedly this book claimed that at Chinese restaurants, you're not given a knife by default, which maybe was true in like 1975 when Donald Sobel wrote that Encyclopedia Brown, but I think it's like not true anymore. There was one where you had to know like the exact length of a dollar bill. There was one where you had to uh, make the leap that only a librarian would know that there's only one word in the English language with three double letters in a row, and it's bookkeeper. And of course, only a librarian would know that. I, maybe you can tell that I'm bitter about this still. <laughs> like, I, I had no idea <laughs> the depths of which. This has burned in my soul for like 25 years. Those books are bullshit. <laughs> they, no, like, come on, man. Th- those, <laughs> those are unsolvable ridiculous puzzles where you are not given sufficient information to like deduce the answer right there was no deduction it was all hey there's a random bit of trivia i've pulled from the air and like that's how i've solved this and and it was never alluded to but i hope you also knew that random bit of trivia children i don't i don't like encyclopedia brown do we need to have <laughs> like a spin-off point. encyclopedia brown pod where we like just go through all of the just very pedantically go through each one of the stories i dare anyone as an adult to go back and read an encyclopedia brown that you did not read as a child and come up with the right answer i dare you i double dog dare you you can't they are here that listeners we have issued a formal (laughs) challenge tweet at us there was one about skydiving and a square egg and now i can't remember what the point was of that one anyway we've what was even the point of this (laughs) my point tbh i have forgotten i don't like it when a work of fiction 
has like something behind the curtain that you are supposed to be able to guess at. I mean, even if you weren't really supposed to be able to guess at this bad, like at this good place, bad place twist, it is still kind of a mystery hiding in plain sight. And I don't like it when works of fiction kind of pull the rug out from under me and like, don't give me the clues that I need to solve it. That's literally the entire point of this show. No, it's not. It's not. Like, Michael kicking the dog into his, into the sun was supposed to be a clue. And it's a very, like, well-hidden, obfuscated clue. And I appreciate that. But then it's paired with this stuff that I'm like, I can't reconcile this in retrospect. I can't reconcile this with the, like, reality that we've been presented after the twist. So it makes me grumpy. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I think, think it's five, five and three eighths inches, I think, is the length of a dollar bill, which I will always know because of that stupid Encyclopedia Brown. I I just, I, <laughs> I'm not, I can't even. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think this, this doesn't bother me quite as much. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they over. Oh, it's actually, it's six, it's 6.14 inches. Where, why did I, huh? Maybe they. Did they change the length of a dollar bill? Well, then there's another reason you don't want to go back and try to solve Encyclopedia Brown Mysteries, eh? I don't actually know if they did or not. I don't think they did. Uh, (laughs) There's some people listening to us being like, it's really weird. They like went off on this whole thing about Encyclopedia Brown for like 15 whole minutes. I'm pretty punchy today. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, listeners, if you can tell, but we're recording this on a Saturday night. We're um, always recording on a Saturday night. That's true. but and This is yeah. our hobby. Some people go out to the club. Some and... people have dates. You have oh, a yeah. husband. I have Dean and Adam two Scott. Small... So yes, I'm and two still... small children. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I ain't going on no dates, that's for sure. Um, neither am I, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> Mostly because this is my hobby. <laughs> If somebody was like, do you want to go out on a date Saturday? I'd be like, I can't. I have. Yeah, no, I've got this. It's well, it's on hiatus, yeah. but uh... it's <laughs> VV important thing to do. Very, very important. Speaking of uh, which, my husband was like, wait, you're still, you're still doing the podcast. And I was like, yeah, yes, it's very important. He's like, but it, there's no, there's no show. I was like, well, we're going back. And watching, rewatching the first season, he's like, okay, have fun with that. <laughs> we're going back and we're having incredibly detailed and pedantic and nonsensical <laughs> arguments. <laughs> this um, is what people tune into this show for, BT Dubs. Yes. It doesn't... Uh, circling back around, I, yeah. I, I think I... I, I, I think, think you, you have acknowledged yeah. my difficulty with this. You have dismissed it for your own soul. It does not eat at your soul the way it eats at mine no it doesn't and like we can we can move on for now but i'm warning you this is going to come up again as we like make our way through the rest of the first well, season. of course it's going to come back up of course it's going to come back up because the entire first season is based on all of these things that seem like these monumental consequences that turn out to be just michael like all a puppet show yeah. yeah i mean it's kind of crazy in retrospect like I think we talked about this when we talked about the first season, um, like our, our first season wrap-up show, like our very first episode. Yeah. Like, Michael, like, take your foot off the gas. <laughs> like, the chaos sequence with the 
you know, big animals or whatever, that was enough to scare Eleanor into, like, bothering Chidi. Like, you don't need the trash storm. (sighs) You know, like, and you don't, I I don't know why, I don't even know, like. Well, it didn't, I mean, obviously, right? Um, It didn't go the way he planned. Arguably, I would say. Which is an argument against this whole if this, then that scenario that you have postulated but I'll, no but okay. i mean i mean the uh, what i mean is it the whole um experiment didn't go the way he planned because he jam-packed it a little too much and and gave away his hand a little bit the way yeah and he... it's so it's so strange because like you know we we see when he's talking to vicky at some point he says something like oh you know like 90 years down the road, you're going to have a really great subplot where, like, Chidi accidentally kills your cat or something like that, right? Yeah, that's the beginning of the second season, yeah. Yeah. Like, he has this whole plan in his head that spans a century, at least. I think he actually, his goal was to make it to a thousand years, right? So, maybe his plan goes out to a thousand years. Um, And... Like, I, you know, I don't need that. I don't know, buddy, that you needed to front load it so hard. <laughs> like, let things simmer a little bit. Well, that was our that that was our uh, critique of him at the beginning of the second season as well with the reboot is that he was so um, he was just in everybody's biz so much yeah. that <laughs> it really uh, it, it, he he overcorrected the other way, you know, it's like the show overcorrected at the beginning to hide his Michael's true intention, and then Michael at the beginning of the second season like over overcorrected in the opposite way in order to, you know, get a rise out of them. Um, it's like a car hopelessly skidding through a like an icy street. Yeah, he's just like hydroplaning all over the place. Um, but I mean, I, I do wonder, though, because we don't see a lot of the mechanics of how the chaos sequence is created. So I assume that, like, if you think about when when Tahani, the second time around, I guess, when Tahani has the super short soulmate, I mean, and they go into the house and the soulmate is like, oh, Michael, this is too big. And Michael just, like, points and the whole second floor is gone and the the house rearranges itself or even like the trolley simulation where he snaps his fingers and they're in another reality. I mean, I, I just accept that Michael has essentially infinite, like I said, infinite creative power in this space. So maybe that is an argument. He is like a kid with a Lego set, essentially that he can move infinitely fast, but maybe, but isn't that then an argument for things changing within five minutes? Oh, I don't have any issue with this the speed with which it happened, except that we know that Michael was otherwise occupied during that five minutes. I see what you're saying. So like if he had been watching her on yes, the if, launch pad. Well, or even if we didn't see Michael at all, because yeah. then I would say, okay, in retrospect, somebody saw her, which, you know, with 300 plus people in the neighborhood, like I buy that somebody saw her from a window or something. Yeah. Somebody yeah. saw her and whispered to Michael like, oh, Eleanor just pushed a bunch of trash under a rug. And Michael was like, perfect. I'm going to make it rain trash now. But yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. completely, he's completely sidelined by this whole dog thing. The, the entire five minute interval. Yeah. They were just so, I think, again, just like they didn't, they didn't want anything to seem suspicious at that point. 
you know, so we didn't see any of that. It's possible that something could have happened, but because we didn't get any indication it's like in the second season when we're talking about like how we don't see vicky enough and we don't see vicky's reactions enough Mm -hmm. uh you know i I sort of liken it to that where they you know they again at the end of this hiatus right like we didn't see vicky talking to sean at all we didn't see vicky's reactions we didn't see like every once in a while we would get something a little like she would seem a little suspicious and then seem placated really easily and we sort of came to the conclusion that they didn't want to give away that sean was going to come back at the end of the last episode and say come in we need to talk right so they're doing it again yeah it feels less dishonest because we know we've always known vicky was a threat yeah that's true And it's always been up in the air as to whether she has been buying the excuses that she's been given. I will say there are certain outcomes at at the, you know, post hiatus that will make me go, come on now, you know, that that's not fair. Like, you know, if it turns out that Sean knew the whole time, you know, certain things where you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense with the the information Mm -hmm. we were given. We, We were always given partial information and that's fine. The problem is the partial information has to fit into the whole picture that we eventually get. It's fine if a lot of stuff is omitted, but it's not fine if the partial information that we were given doesn't fit into the eventual larger picture. Mm -hmm. Which is actually not my problem with Encyclopedia Brown. My problem with Encyclopedia Brown is that the information that's omitted is so huge that there's no way you can solve the mystery. But... um, I just wanted to rant against Encyclopedia Brown, I guess. I think that's been inside me for a really long time now, and I feel really good that I got it off my chest. Have you said your piece? Do you feel lighter? I do do feel, I feel like it's not going to come up again unless my kids start reading Encyclopedia Brown, and then it's kind of going to like reemerge for me as a problem. And then you're going to be like, oh, honey, we don't, we don't read Encyclopedia Brown. I feel like you can't ban your children from reading a book unless you want them to become their favorite book. That's true. I just hope that they have, like, fallen so far out of favor. I mean, even when I was reading them, you know, in the 90s, they were, like, the battered paperbacks that you kind of picked up at the secondhand sale. So I'm hoping that Encyclopedia Brown has, like, gone the way of the dinosaur and I don't have to think about it ever again. Maybe we're going to get, like, a gritty reboot. You know, um, who's the guy from The Office? Ryan on The Office? BJ Novak? Yeah, B.J. Novak wrote um, a short story called Wikipedia Brown that is actually (laughs) really funny. I recommend people go look that up. I think that there is audio of him reading it, maybe on like This American Life or something. But there's like there's some audio of him reading it that's like pretty choice. Um, You know, Wikipedia Brown is not the world's most reliable detective. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe maybe your your kids will be reading Wikipedia Brown on their iPads one day. Anything else we want to cover in this uh, rambling episode? <laughs> well, look, it's hiatus. We can be a little looser. I was going right? to say, we have hiatus brain. We're like, not... Uh... Um, 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 um. Isn't this the episode where um, Eleanor says to Chidi, I have a present for you. And then she says, Senegal. Yeah, at the very end. And he goes, it's not a present. That's just like common decency. Basic human and she... decency. <laughs> and then she says, yeah, but I forking nailed it. <laughs> 
So I guess that there is, I don't know, I guess that there is maybe something to be said about Tahani. Tahani is pretty insufferable through this whole episode. Yeah. Um, Tahani kind of grows on me as this first season goes along. She eventually kind of becomes Eleanor's champion, which is pretty sweet. But in this episode, she is just a bear. I mean, it is, it's hard. It's in some way hard to watch, especially since, you know, you know, now I follow all these actors on like Twitter and like Jamila Jamil specifically seems like an incredibly lovely person. And this character is like so painful. Well, and I think it's a testament to the acting performance that at the beginning of the series, she's incredibly insufferable. Um, and she doesn't actually, you know, change all that much of her affectation, but you become more endeared to her over time, right? Like, even in the second season, when we were talking about, um, like, the episode where we find out how Tahani dies, right? She's still in that episode saying, like, no, 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 this is a mistake. I don't belong here. Uh, I belong in the good place. And even after she finds out how she dies, she's like, I died in Cleveland? Like, you know, she's she's still sort of this... Or even... Um, in the episode where they're about to get married and she like makes a crack about how, you know, Oh, I would never have my hair up because I'm not a factory worker. Like she's still, (laughs) she's still that same person uh, who is sort of insufferable in the first few episodes, but we just come to appreciate and know her character in a different way. So how truthful. So she makes a comment at some point about how it reminds her of when she was traveling with her godmother, Princess Diana, mm-hmm. and cleaning up, I want to say, landmines in Vietnam or something. Which, at the time when I watched this the first time, I took as a 100% true statement, because even though Tahani was insufferable, she had made it into the good place, and therefore she had to have done these amazingly good things. Now that we know that she didn't make it into the good place... How true do we think this actually is? I would I would like to know that about like any one of her statements where yes, she's just kind of inserting a famous person into. You know. Yeah, when like Anderson Cooper asked her to. Do... No, wait a minute, Anderson that Cooper was... three sixty. Yeah, but that was when she was hooked up to the lie detector, and the lie detector said that one was true. That's right. That's right. Okay, so we at least, I guess, objectively know that one is correct. But she did lie about, in the first season, about she how did she died. lie yeah. about how she died, yeah. I mean, I don't think she remembered how she died. And so she, maybe she just came to some sort of logical conclusion, in her opinion. But, like, yeah, what, all kinds of things about, right, all the famous people she hung out with and how much they relied on her and all the wonderful things she did. Like It was like um, my one friend Taylor and my other friend Kanye and my best right. friend uh, Beyonce. That's right. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it really remains to be seen. And I don't know, I wonder if we're ever going to get an answer on like any of that stuff. Because, like, she's obviously not a total grifter, right? She did. Nobody disputes that she raised literal billions of dollars for charity. So in order for that to be true, she kind of had to move in certain circles, right? Well, yeah, and her family was quite well off as well, so... Right, they weren't billions of dollars wealthy. Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility that 
you know, she would have known Beyonce and Kanye West. <laughs> Although I don't think Kanye West is given giving billions to charity. <laughs> He's probably given some money. Yeah. Let's not bang on Kanye for no reason. <laughs> but like, so the, it's it's sort of a different thing though between her knowing famous people and her going to like uh, go deactivate landmines in Vietnam with Princess Diana. Like well, that's a heck of a claim. And didn't Princess Diana die in 1996? I was just thinking that 97, I think. 97. So I mean, assuming that she's about 30. Um, that would mean that was 20 years ago. So she was like 10. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of 10 year olds. I mean, and that's assuming that it happened a week before Princess <laughs> Diana died. A lot of 10 year olds out there deactivating landmines. I mean, that's slightly insane, right? Yeah. That's so that's what I, I, I think that one we can kind of dismiss. I would sooner believe that she was friends with Taylor Swift that then she was, uh, deactivating landmines with princess die at the age of nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh so you're giving them like a good year's cushion before diana dies in a car crash well I, okay, yeah, yeah i feel like she was busy with other things <laughs> for, for seating yeah so yeah i mean but i i do think it's interesting that i i, I do wonder um how much of it is true um but also like how much of it is just uh she constantly feels like she needs to perform yeah, I mean, we do see her in the next episode or the one after, kind of like trying to compare her point scores to everybody That's else's. That's the sinkhole episode. Mm, right, right, right. Um, which, again, in retrospect, it's literally impossible for us to know if these point totals are meaningful in any way or if they were completely invented, you know, for the purposes of letting Tani see them. Um, I think probably the latter. Probably. Uh, especially since they would have had to have made up point totals for all the bad place employees. Yeah, I mean, they were completely f- fabricated, except for the four of them, you know, the four humans. But even the four humans, like, those point totals, I I, I think there's a difference between saying the point system was fabricated and these particular point totals were fabricated. Yeah, good point. Maybe she has a bit of imposter syndrome, you know, she she probably feels like she did not actually achieve much in her life that is comparable to what the other people claim to have done. Like, she, I don't know that she would ever admit this to herself, but probably, you know, if she's at a party and she's talking to someone who, you know, like Bamba John allegedly, you know, <laughs> spent half his life in North Korea fighting for women's rights and half his life in Saudi Arabia fighting for gay rights or whatever... She probably deep down knows that she does not stack up to that. Yeah. And so she probably has a bit of imposter syndrome and she's always a little bit competitive about her, you know, alleged points or whatever. And so probably she kind of makes things up to make herself seem like she fits in more than she actually does. Yeah. I mean, ironically, I think with this, she doesn't know that this group of people is fake. But with this group of people, it it wouldn't really impress them to know that she was like best friends with Beyonce but at the same time like you know I know this this will be in the next episode but um in the next episode she goes around to the neighborhood and makes sure that everybody's okay and like brings them perfectly baked scones and everything and everybody seems to really like her even though she's insufferable and I imagine that's because they've all been told 
to react to her like she's an angel when you know in order to annoy Eleanor yeah yeah that's a pretty effective way to torture Eleanor but it is an interesting look at that's like another another element of the sort of performative aspect of Tahani being good right she's not doing this out of the goodness of her heart she's doing it to appear more charitable to other people yeah I mean we at least that's what we assume I mean I don't think that's ever been stated outright but I think that knowing kind of how Tahani's life really went down which doesn't seem to match up totally with what she claims in the first season that um a lot of her uh gestures of generosity like cleaning up the trash are um kind of trying to put herself on a like an even moral footing with the people who allegedly clean really cleaned out landmines or like donated all their organs while they were still alive somehow right. <laughs> like this is never let me go which is a great book very sad mm. uh sorry uh, you know if you're spoiler looking for alert some, well, if you're like, no, it's not a spoiler. So if you're like, I know I shouldn't be reading Encyclopedia Brown because I implicitly trust Marissa's like uh, cultural tastes. But what does that leave me with? You know, how many books does that really leave me with once I've eliminated all the Encyclopedia Brown books? Allow me to uh, recommend Kazuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go. So it's either Encyclopedia Brown uh-huh. or Never Let Me Go. That's, I mean, that's basically my bookshelf. <laughs> or the Da Vinci Code, apparently. <laughs> or the collected words, works of W.B. Yeats. We, this has just been like a literary tour tonight. <laughs> my whole life is a literary tour. That's true. The, biggest, and, room in, the biggest room in my house is a library. You and Chidi together, just I on know, a literary tour. Our, our, our mutual soulmate of books. Yes, indeed. Do you want to wrap it up? I was going to say... <laughs> I think we've, uh, I think this well is running a little dry. <laughs> yeah. Well, until next time, fork you, Donald Sobel. <laughs> we'll see you next time, ding dongs.